Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show as we have our continuing coverage of coronavirus and how it affects your wallet and your life. Our website, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are both on the job. Clark Deals keeping you from getting gouged on the items that you need right now. And Clark.com, we are doing everything we can to give you specific, practical advice on the various pivots we're having to make with our lives. And I want to give you a bit of perspective here that if you think about it, all this has only become front of mind with us as Americans in the last 10 days. Up till that point, going back to last year, when this was an issue elsewhere in the world, in the United States, mostly limited to Washington State, that we were really just going on with our lives and there was some background noise about uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And suddenly, all at once, I mean, you think about in our lives, we're talking about in the last 250 hours, not a lot of time, we've gone from this being something not really concerning us or about our lives to two factors of great dislocation. One, the health thing, and the consequences health-wise in the United States range depending on the scientists, and these are all very bright people, the scientists using their models, uh, doing deep data with computer models, from being a moderately heavy impact health-wise and in terms of fatalities to catastrophic. And the numbers are all over the place. And that very idea itself and the fact that we don't have testing kits available and that uh, medicine is still trying and science still trying to figure out how to treat efficiently when somebody has coronavirus. And then this fuzzy thing about some people get it and have virtually no symptoms. Other people get it and feel really, really rotten, terrible. Still others have extreme um, extremely miserable health problems, hospitalizations, and then a certain percent die. I mean, this is one of those things that gets right to your core, right to your gut. And then the financial side for people, if people are not really worried about the health aspect, the financial side suddenly is front and center with the potential for very high unemployment, and people who have lived kind of on the edge having a very difficult time just with things like getting food on the table. So in 250 hours, we've gone from pretty much, and I wouldn't call it denial, that's too harsh a word, but we have busy lives, there's a lot of noise in them, 
and this was not on our radar, to now great fear, and so many of us know people who've already been laid off. And the notices I'm getting from things that are not the initial wave were all um, travel hospitality related for layoffs, but now like my dentist, I got to notice that her office is closed and that they are only going to see someone if they have a severe dental emergency. But other than that, the office is closed. And think how many things like that we're hearing where things that were just part of daily life are now on hold. So I know it can be overwhelming. You can feel anxious. You can feel a sense of panic. You can feel shallow breathing. You can be having nightmares at the disruption. And I want you to know this is one of the great things about us as human beings. At first, we feel that great sense of unease. And then we adjust and adapt. And that's not to minimize the hardship that many of us are going to feel. But I want you to know that we are more resilient when we get into something than at first we believe we can be when the chaos begins. And we're in the phase of chaos. And then we'll settle into patterns. You know, when you think about the shortages that have suddenly appeared, the, all the pictures, or maybe you've experienced yourself, when you go into a supermarket and you see empty shelves, those long rows of empty shelves. And we ordered groceries online, as many people are doing. We've been doing that for a long time in our household. And many of the items that my wife ordered couldn't be filled because the stores didn't have them. So I want you to think about a pivot. The same thing that's causing so much hardship for restaurant owners is creating massive demand for supermarkets and the warehouse clubs. Because people who before may have eaten out substantially much or all of their meals are now thinking, hey, I got to stock up with groceries from the grocery store and they've outrun the normal supply chains for the grocery business. Grocery stores, the same time as restaurants are laying off people, grocery stores are hiring people, Amazon hiring people. Uh, grocery stores are cutting back on hours, coming back with coming up with specialized hours for senior citizens, which I thought was a very clever idea. They all have been trying in fits and starts to do online home delivery of groceries, and that business is going to require more people now that a lot of people are, that's the only way they're going to want to get food. As far as the supply chain disruptions and the shortages of many items in the supermarket, in the warehouse club, with Amazon, with Walmart.com, those shortages will steadily lessen. And it's not going to be like snap your finger 
and suddenly supplies will be restored. But they are gradually going to get to what's known as equilibrium. Because a lot of people in the initial wave of upset or panic overbought in certain categories. And their demand is going to cease. And so supply and demand will get back into, into full alignment. And it will be a gradual thing over the next few weeks. But we will have a new normal where supplies will be available. There is a shift going on in employment in the United States, obviously. And there are going to be fields that are going to see employment just eaten up and other fields where people are going to be needed for this shift that's happening in the economy. As far as the shift, this is not a permanent shift, but parts of it will stay as part of how we live going ahead. And I want to say one other thing about coronavirus before I go to your questions. This is something that will take us a while to defeat, but we will not not be defeated by it. Remember that. Second, this will likely come in waves as we are more and more separating from each other, staying in safe spaces at home, or what appear to be safe spaces at home. We will get through a first wave of coronavirus. But as we're learning from other places in the world, there will be others, but each time there are other waves, we will be better at handling each one. And eventually we'll have a vaccine, and eventually we'll have protocols for treatment that are steadily more effective. And know that this is not the end of the world, even though it is is causing anxiety and upset. And those are real feelings you have if you have them. And I know there were a lot of people who went through 10 weeks of dismissing this as some kind of hoax and now dismissing it as some kind of overreaction. And it's neither. But it's also important that you know that what seems insurmountable now, we will endure and we will overcome this, no doubt. With that having been said, Kim or Joel, who wants to go first? And I should say, normally we would be hearing you directly, but the number of questions being posted are so many that we're answering them this way with Kim and Joel asking your questions because we can address more topics in a quicker period of time. That's true, Clark. And so speaking to the high anxiety, James wants to know, during this time of uncertainty, is our money safe in the bank, checking and direct deposit, or should we be pulling it out immediately? Your money is safe up to an amount of, of course, a quarter million dollars. A good problem to have if you have more than a quarter million if you've gotten kind of lazy with your money over the years, if you've got a lot, the one thing you would want to do is if you have more than that in any one financial institution, 
is that you open accounts at other institutions online, move money, and stay below the limits. It would require a complete destruction of civil order in the United States and an insolvency of the U.S. government for the bank guarantees to not hold. The chances that would happen are so minute that it's not even measurable. And people who were involved in the financial sector and who were involved with the Federal Reserve and also with the Treasury Department all learn the lessons of the Great Depression. And that's why there's such a sense of urgency right now, making sure that parts of the economy don't seize up. And if any part of the economy seizes up, to get that part functioning again. So money in banks is safe. It is a good idea for you to have some amount of cash on hand, actual cash. Joel? Sure, Clark. Andrew wrote in and he says, Clark, I've got a $75,000 home equity line of credit. Should I move some funds from that to my emergency savings for the next year just in case the virus gets worse and I need the money, but banks potentially start limiting lines of credit? That's a very good idea. And, you know, I don't like home equity lines of credit, but if you've got it sitting there and it's money you may need to fund your regular life, Drawing that down before banks start shutting off unused home equity lines of credit is a good idea. If you think about this, corporate America has already been doing this, where they have standby lines of credit with banks, and they've been drawing them down to the max to make sure they have cash on hand for their current needs. And doing that as a consumer makes great sense. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We continue with your questions here on the Clark Howard Show. And Kim, who do you have a question from? I have a question from David. He says that he's an independent contractor at a dentist's office. He gets paid through an LLC. And it looks like they are going to shut down temporarily, at least for a few weeks. He wants to know, can he file for unemployment? Can anyone file for unemployment during this weird time? So if you're paid as an independent contractor, this is something that Congress has been debating, is is there going to be some mechanism where you'll be able to receive some form of compensation where normally you would not be? So if you get paid as an IC, anybody who works as any kind of, and that's a form of a gig worker, weirdly enough, anytime you get paid as a non-employee, you are not normally eligible for any kind of unemployment because you are working at the pleasure of a non-employer. So the short answer is, as the rules stand today, you're not eligible for any compensation. But I know there's a lot of conversation going on between the House and the Senate how to deal with the tens of millions of Americans who work as independent contractors. And we'll have to wait to see 
what ends up being adopted on that score. Joel? Clark Renee's got a question. She says, I'm 24 years old and I've been getting the 4% company match in my 401k for the last two years. Before COVID-19 came, I was on track to pay off my student loans in the next six months. And then I plan to open and invest 500 bucks a month in a Roth IRA. At this point, is it wiser to temporarily scratch both plans and keep extra cash for the next several months? Or should I continue as planned? So as I follow what you said, there's a 4% match, right? There's the match, and then there's the idea of continuing to pay off student loans or keeping more. So pay only the minimum on your student loans right now, but pick up the cash from the match, because especially with the markets in such decline, every pay period is you're buying shares, you're buying those shares at a phenomenal price. So And you're getting 100% return on your money with you putting up a dollar and the employer putting up a dollar for that first 4%. But yes, anything else in your life, like the student loans, pay only the absolute minimum required and any discretionary spending you have in your life that you don't have to do, don't do. Because you're going to want to hoard that cash if it becomes necessary down the road for you to be able to pay your regular bills. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real world results. That's SAP Business AI. Great to have you here on these special editions we're doing of the Clark Howard Show as we deal with the fallout for you and your wallet from coronavirus, from the pandemic. And I wanna talk to you about an area that has generated more questions to us at clark.com slash ask and on social media than any other area. And it's people who have had travel booked that now isn't going to happen. And this has been an area that has frustrated people so much. There's story after story about people who have attempted to contact, uh, let's say, someone like Expedia or Hotels.com or Priceline or any third-party booking source known in the lingo of the trade as an OTA, an online travel agency. And this has been, of all the phases of travel, the greatest fail where the these companies have not been able to get the job done. Uh, people call up and they wait uh, hours and then get hung up on, or if they talk to someone, they're getting no real help. The problem is when you deal with an OTA, you are dealing with a third party who booked with someone else, hotel, cruise line, airline, tour operator, whatever. And the travel supplier itself has its policies. Then the online travel agency has its. And that combination of differences in the policies 
and a failure to communicate between the travel suppliers and people like Expedia has been brutal for travelers. You call up any travel operator right now and they'll say, hey, if you're not traveling the next 72 hours, hang up and call us later because we can't help you anyway. So as far as uh, ExpediaHotels.com, Priceline, whatever, what I'm recommending is that everything you try to do is online and documented online. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have success getting your money back, but trying to call is not going to work for the foreseeable future. You know, where I talked just moments ago about how the supply and demand on the grocery shelves was going to line up gradually and everything would work out and we'd have supplies that would be reliable and predictable. With the online travel agencies, they have no revenue coming in, only revenue going, only costs coming in. Any revenue they'd already captured is now going back out. And they were always understaffed and undertrained to start with. So that part, I don't have easy answers for. However, if you book directly, we're getting a lot of questions on those lines. And Kim, focus me on different areas. Uh, I bet you're getting a lot about cruises right now. I absolutely am. So I'm going to read you Larry and Sam kind of back to back because they piggyback on each other. This is Larry. We booked a cruise that was supposed to depart on March 21st. The cruise line has offered a full cruise credit. Unfortunately, there aren't any cruises that interest us. I would prefer a refund. Do you think I should press them for a refund or just settle for the credit? And in that same vein, Sam, our Rhine River cruise was canceled. They're offering a full 100% refund of the amount paid, or they're offering a voucher for 125% in the form of a credit. Which do you think is better? That is a, they're both like perfect questions of the kind that I'm seeing everywhere about the cruises. So the cruise lines have really settled in on their policies once they park the ships where the policies before they parked the ships were much more fluid. Now, as a general rule, cruise lines are either offering you the money you have towards a future cruise with bonus thrown in, either the 125 or a lot of onboard spending credits. And that's been the most common thing. Or they got to give you your money back. And pretty much with the cruise lines, if what you want is your money back, that will happen. Here's how you do it, though. Let's say you can't reach somebody at the cruise line. What you do is you go online and print out the cruise line policy that shows you have a right to 100% refund for a cruise that's not taking place. This isn't where you choose to cancel. This is where the cruise lines park the ship. Then... If you fail to be able to reach the cruise line, normally you will have paid for the cruise by a credit card. You can put that charge into dispute with your credit card company. And that's how I'd handle it. On the issue of taking the 125 towards a future cruise or 100% as a refund, if cruising is something you like to do, and your plan when all this dust clears to go cruising again, take the 125. 
the greatest risk is that the cruise lines were to fail, to go bankrupt, and there's the potential to lose your money in that case. But again, if you paid by credit card, odds are you're going to be not 100% secure with the money, but more so. You know, life is a series of calculations and decisions we make that involve some level of risk. And if you love cruising, the cruise industry is going to exist after this is all over. I would take the 125. If I was sitting on a booking right now and I was offered 125% of what I'd paid towards a future trip, I'd take it. Um, Airbnb, Kim, I'd like to address that and then go to another question from you. Please. Airbnb is at a war with its hosts because Airbnb made a decision that even if a host had a non-refundable policy, because of the current circumstance, Airbnb is very liberally giving people a refund. In fact, I'm shocked how much Airbnb has tilted through this towards the consumer booking versus the host who was depending on hoping for that money. So Airbnb bookings, you know, I had a question on the air, I guess, um, two weeks ago, last week, I'm trying to remember, from somebody who was trying to cancel an Airbnb and was getting nowhere. The policy is pretty clear if you go to Airbnb's website now that through April Fool's Day, at least at this point, you have a very easy time getting a refund. After that date, to be determined. What else do you have, Kim? Well, I think Joel has one now about uh, airplane travel. Yeah, Clark Peggy wrote in. She said, I booked a flight for three passengers and a car rental to Atlanta for my son's military graduation. Now the DOD has closed all graduations to the public, so I'd like to cancel my flight. Can I expect a refund? I don't fly much, and if the airline issues a credit for the cancellation, I may not use it at a later date, so what are my options to get some or all of my money back? That is a, a great question. So you're going to have the ability to get that credit you don't want if you choose not to go. But what's happening uh, day by day is airlines are canceling more and more of their flight schedule. So I would wait, and when your flight cancels, and I, I said when, didn't I? Um, overwhelmingly, flights are going to be grounded. When that flight cancels that you were booked on, then you have a right to a refund of your money. So if you act now, all you're going to get is a credit. But if you wait and your flight's canceled, then you can get a refund of those three tickets. And I want to thank your son for his service to our country. I wanted to mention something about uh, hotels. Hotels like Airbnb overwhelmingly now are allowing travelers on non-refundable hotel bookings to get a refund. A lot of hotels are actually closing their doors now uh, because the occupancies have dropped so low. I'm seeing reports of hotels now at 7% occupancies where they're filling only 7 out of every 100 rooms every night. A hotel to cover its costs of keeping the doors open typically needs to fill from 58 to 63 percent of its rooms on a night. So that's why hotels are saying it's too expensive to continue operating 
for such a small number of people. And if a hotel temporarily shuts its doors, then getting a refund will be extremely easy because they will have failed to deliver the product or service, in this case service, and you will have a right to a chargeback with a credit card. One theme that's coming up over and over and over again with travel is, I've always said, only book travel with a credit card. This circumstance is making it clearer than any I can ever recall that the only way to protect yourself when you book travel is to book with a real credit card. I need to point out that a Visa or MasterCard debit card, I call them a piece of trash fake Visa or fake MasterCard because they may look the same as a real credit card, but they offer zero, no protections at all in the case that a travel supplier does not want to give you your money back. Kim, do you have any more questions specifically about travel before yeah. we go on to general questions? I actually do. Um, specifically, just to follow up to what you just said, could you clarify, are you implying that people should try to do a chargeback? Because I thought there's a 60-day window and most people book travel so far right. you know, in advance. So a chargeback, all a chargeback is is a process. And it doesn't mean that your chargeback will automatically be honored. There are various circumstances that might affect that. The 60-day rule with travel has always been a fuzzy one. A lot of times the credit card companies have not held to 60 days when it's involved travel that's booked in advance. But that will be up to each issuer of credit cards how they interpret the 60-day rule when it comes to requesting a chargeback on travel. The key distinction with the difference is that with a piece of trash visa or MasterCard, you have no right to even request a chargeback. So you have zero rights to your money. It's as if you handed somebody cash when you pay with a visa debit card or the MasterCard equivalent or check card, whatever they call it, on your card. But the chargeback is a, is a final step in a process if the travel supplier is not cooperating with you. I got you. All right, Clark, Pauline has a question. Uh, this is getting away from the travel stuff. She said that this morning I got a phone call stating that the virus was very bad and wanted to know if they could send me an over via overnight mail a test kit for the coronavirus. I hung up on them, but I want to know, was this a scam call? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I hate that. That I mean, think about what lowlifes come out of the woodwork when there is a, a crisis of some kind. You did the right thing hanging up. We will, over time, have available test kits of various types, but it will become really clear and really available when there's a consumer version that you can just go buy from a regular reputable source. And anybody who's emailing you, texting you, or calling you and say, hey, guess what I got for you? I got this test kit. You know, don't believe any of that junk at all. 
in this time of uncertainty as we pivot and deal with the consequences to our health and our loved one's health and also to the health of our wallets. We're answering your questions on the Clark Howard Show. And Kim, who do you have a question from? I got a question from Sue. She wants to know for college students and their parents dealing with all the sudden changes and the uncertainty brought on by the coronavirus, do they have any recourse financially due to the due to the cancellation of classes and the request to leave campus? Right. So most colleges are holding on to money because they're offering their classes electronically. And I have experienced this myself. My daughter is vice president of student body at her college, and the the student uh, the student government, which I forget the exact name of her student government, but they are meeting multiple times a day and negotiating with the administration how people are going to be accommodated financially. And at her school, There's no refund of tuition because classes are going to continue. Dorm space is being refunded for a prorated refund of the rest of the semester. Meal plans being refunded. Students who are on work study will receive their work study funds at her college even though they're not doing any more work as part of their study. Since it was part of their financial aid package, they're still going to get it. And so each college or university is following its own procedures about how money will and what portion will be refunded. The one thing you're not going to see a refund for at any college or university I'm aware of is your actual tuition, since classes are just morphing into online and will continue. Joel? Sure, Clark. Greg says, I've always heard that uh, 401k investing is a long-term move and that you shouldn't make any changes during a down market like we're seeing now. But wouldn't it make better sense to move some of my current holdings to cash or a money market fund or something low risk until this passes? You can still take advantage of low stock prices with future contributions. I just don't understand why it's okay to watch your investment get wasted away with a guarantee of a full recovery. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Your point is one on many people's minds where people sell out and go to where it's safe. And we don't know how far this decline is going to take us. It could be uh, one that's dribs and drabs. It just is death by a thousand cuts up this day, down a lot the next day and blah, 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 blah for months to come. So you're thinking, hey, I'll sleep a lot better at night if I just go to cash and wait till the turn. The problem is we never really know when the dust is clear. It's impossible to know that. Only in hindsight do you know. And when markets do recover, the recovery is in big chunks in very short periods of time. By the time you realize it's clear to stay in the market or get back in the market, you may have missed the best the market's going to offer you. And I'm going to talk more about that in the days ahead. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.